0: Psalm 46. All right, everybody got it? All right, let's stand in honor of God's Word. We're going to read Psalm 46. We're going to read down from verse number 8 all the way down to verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. Okay? I'll read first, all right? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he has made in the earth. He makes wars, war to cease in the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, he cuts the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots in the fire. All right, you ready with verse 10? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Thanks, you. Be seated. One writer makes this following observation. Hurry is the greatest enemy of our spiritual life in this day. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it is not that we'll be. It, it, it is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we'll settle for a mediocre version of it. The writer goes on to describe the chronic problem of America: is hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. We want our pizza delivered in thirty minutes or less. We go to restaurants at lunchtime, not because the food's good, but because it's fast. We're addicted to devices that promise to enable us to have higher efficiency that gives us more time for other things. And yet, study after study shows the more we use them, the less time we actually have for the most valued things in life. I read this this week. In fact, Yahoo said in a study, the number one thing you can do with your cell phone to improve intimacy in your marriage, turn it off. Turn it off. The writer goes on to point out that all of our efforts to get more done in less time hasn't produced what we're after. He says that while American society is rich in goods, it's extremely time poor. Many societies in two thirds of the world, by contrast, are poor. They have little material possessions by our standards, but they're rich in time. They're not driven to be hurried. They live in a sense that there's adequate time to do what needs to be done Every day. Those are great words. I don't know if you're hearing them or if it's like the print of the page. You just kind of skip over them. I think he's on to something. It seems that our society is filled with stress, anxiety, worry. We live in a culture that's riddled with all kinds of drugs. To help us not be so stressed out. The mental, National Institute of Mental Health says 40 million Americans, nearly one in seven of us, suffer from some kind of anxiety disorder at any given time. According for 31% of expenditures on mental health care in the United States, we found, according to recent data, that the lifetime incidence of anxiety disorder is more than 25%. If that's the case, that means one in four Americans can expect to be stricken by debilitating anxiety at some point in their lifetime. We'll lose, as Americans this next year, 321 million days of work because of anxiety. Americans in 2005 filled 53 million prescriptions for two anxiety drugs, Altavan and Xanax. Now, as Christians, I wish I could say that we don't have any worries, that we don't have anxiety attacks, that we're not stressed out, but to be quite honest with you, we're kind of like that little girl that was running to church. She was late for Sunday school. She had on her Sunday go to meeting clothes and she was praying. She's saying, Lord, don't let me be late. Lord, don't let me be late. And while she's running down the sidewalk, she didn't notice that the sidewalk had an area that had a ledge and she tripped and she fell face first. She knocked out the knees of her stockings. She tore her dress. She was scraped and bruised. And then she got back up and kept running to Sunday school. And as she prayed now, she prayed it this way. Lord, don't let me be late, but don't push me either. You ever feel like sometimes maybe God's behind you pushing you? Yeah. We're looking in this 46th Psalm and we're spending some time not hurrying and rushing. This is the third sermon out of this Psalm today. And by the Lord's will and grace, we'll finish it in just a few moments. One thing we're learning from Psalm 46 is be still. Know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. If you look carefully, three times in this passage, you're going to see the word sila. Sila. The word means to pause. We could say it like this. Sit there for a moment and think about that. God says these statements to us and God says, pause. Sit there. Let that sink in. Most of us, we can't hardly do that, can we? We've noticed the structure of this psalm. Psalm 40, 40, 46 has three movements. If you look carefully, you'll notice that each movement's accentuated by that sila. And so three different times you see sila in the, First three or four verses, then Selah, next three or four verses, and then Selah, and then the last three or four verses, and then Selah. There's three movements in this psalm. And the first movement is basically this. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. And because of that, he starts off in the next verse, we don't need to fear. Because God is our refuge. High tower, because God is our wall of defense. Because God is our refuge, what would we ever be afraid of? That's a great question. And as you read down through here, you're going to find that verses four to seven, he's going to talk about though the nations rage. It always brings great anxiety and great fear to America when we see this last week, for example, in. The South China Sea, they're building sand islands and claiming the South China Sea as part of China. And we got so close with a couple of our battleships with the Chinese this week that it got scary. Within about 40 feet. You'd say, Pastor, what do you think is going on there? Though the nations rage. That's exactly what this psalm says. God says because the heathen raged and the kingdoms were moved, he utters his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob. He is our refuge. First movement says God is our refuge. The second movement says God is our refuge. And this morning as we work work our way through this next one, we're gonna see the works of the Lord and how he takes the weapons of warfare And he breaks them as if they're nothing. And finally he says again, as if we haven't got it yet, God is our refuge. Now how many times does God have to say it for it to be true? I think it's just once, but he says it three different times. God wants us to understand that he's the one that we flee to. Why would you flee to anyone else? He's a very present help in a time of trouble. When life begins to tighten in on you and it becomes a tight place, he says, where you run, I'm easy to find, I'm a present help. When life becomes difficult, run to me. Well, we see the structure, we see the content. Look at the repeated themes. You say, Pastor, what's this chapter about? What is Psalm 46 really about? Well, do yourself a favor and go down through here and underline every time you read the word God. You say, Pastor, who is Psalm 46 about? God. He says it nine times in 11 verses. He wants us to make sure we recognize that God is what this is all about. Well, we're at the last verses today. And I'm going to make it real easy, all right? Will you just hang in there with me? And you say, Pastor, are you going to have one of those homiletic outlines where the, it rhymes and the all starts the same? No, <laughs> I'm not. That's way too much work and way too small a brain. So I'm just going to stick with what it says. <laughs> all right, let's start off this morning with. Let's start with these words. Be still. Be still. Now let's say it all together. You ready? Be still. One more time. We'll get more than three people say it. Be still. You say, what do you learn out of Psalm 46? Be still. If you don't learn anything else, he says, be still and know that I am God. It's a first person exclamation. It's almost like God grabs the microphone and he Gets his lips right up next to it and he says, Hey, you be still and know that I am God. God says, Chill. Just chill. Instead of being filled with anxiety, instead of being worried up to your eyeballs, he said, if you don't learn anything else out of this psalm, be still. Now hang with me just for a moment because I want to try to explain what this meant. In the day of the Bible, there's two interpretations. He could be talking to Sennacherib. He basically, when he says be still, it's the idea of, of being in the, the fighting position. It's the idea of having your hands up. And when he says be still, it's the idea of taking your hands down and, and putting your hands down by your side. He says, put your dukes down. He says, don't be ready to fight. And maybe he's saying it to Sennacherib. Maybe Sennacherib, this Assyrian king that comes with 185,000 of his troops, he's basically saying to Sennacherib, hey, Sennacherib, if you had a brain in your head, you would just be still because all I got to do is send one angel and one angel can wipe out your entire army in one night, which happened. If you'd have been still, if you'd have put your arms down, If you wouldn't have been fighting against Israel and against me, I wouldn't have to do that. Now, that, I think, is probably a pretty good interpretation of the passage. But, you know, for our sakes this morning, I think sometimes that, at least in my life, maybe I'm the only heathen that goes to this church. There's been a couple of times where I thought God needed my help desperately. There's been a few times I had my hands up and I was running my fingers through everything because you know what? There's nobody more capable than Phil. And man, if anybody can fix it, I can fix it. And God looks at me and he says, Phil, what are you nuts? Be still. You're just gonna gum it up. You're just gonna mess it up. Now, get your hands out of it. Put your hands down by your side. Be still. Now let's let's see this. Now I'm coming back to Psalm 46, so you just hang in there. We got to make a detour for a couple of minutes here. I want to show you this whole thought in the Bible. Will you let me do that just for a moment? Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, and we're gonna look down in verse number oh 29, 30, 31. You ready? I don't want to turn until you get there. This is one of those spots you ought to have underlined in your Bible if you don't have it underlined. Look at what he says. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Amen. Now, isn't that a great verse? We talk in this passage, and as you walk, walk, work your way through this passage, he's I wish I had time. We're not going to look at the whole 40th uh, chapter of Isaiah. But he's talking about where God's place is in the universe and what God can do and how God operates. And he says, hey, one thing about your God, here's what you need to keep in mind. He doesn't ever sweat it. He never faints. He doesn't. hear the word. <sighs> Sigh. You ever felt that way? You ever had a time in your life where all you could basically do, you didn't really know what to say, you didn't really know what to think, but all you did was a lot of deep sighing. I've been sighing lately. He said, man, the great thing about our God, he doesn't ever faint. He goes a step further, he said, our God is is the everlasting God. Our God is the one that gives notice verse 29 he gives power to the faint for you this week that have been doing some deep sighing and just about ready to faint god says hey i'm the one that can give you power i'm the one that can help you through that situation now the way you got to re- realize it, he says now be still put your hands down keep your hands out of it don't think you're in charge Don't think you can handle it. You just put your hands down, and you know that I'm God because I give power to the faint. That's the kind of people I help. Let's read on. He says in verse number 29, he says, I give power to the faint and to them that have no might. I increase strength. Man, I was looking at a kid the other day. And it was like a five, six-year-old kid. The kid was running in circles. I mean, mom was talking to me, and the kid was doing laps around us. And finally, I looked at her, and I said, man, do you think they could bottle that? Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of energy? Wouldn't it be that great to, to have that kind of strength? Man, he's making me tired just watching him. God says, hey, if you put your hands down, if you'll be still if you'll know that I am God, he says, I give power to the faint, and by the way, to the weary, I give them my strength. Now the question would be, how do you get that? Well, let's keep reading. The Bible says, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But in contrast, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they'll mount up, Wings like eagles, they'll run, they'll not be weary, they'll walk, they'll not faint. Underline there that word renew. That's an interesting word because the word renew there is the idea of twisting. Now, I don't have time to do this, but if I, if I wanted to, I could go out and get me a... How many remember what when, in the old days when you used to send a package and you got cord and you tied it around the package? How many remember those old days? And normally it was made out of hemp, not the kind you smoke, but the, you know what I mean? And they, and they used to take a, a, a little strand of hemp and they would, they would twist it, and they would twist it. Now, I'll be honest with you, one strand of hemp, you can, you can break it, no problem. And God is comparing our strength to that little strand of hemp. He says, you know what, you're not strong in and of yourself. There is no strength in you. But he says, what I'm challenging you to do is I want you to renew your strength. I want you to take your little bit of strength and I want you to twist it around my strength. And he says, when you do that, you'll be renewed. He said, in fact, you'll be like an eagle that mounts up wings. You'll be so strong that you won't be weary that you can run and never get tired. All God's people said, You say, Pastor, how do you get that? Wait. It's the only way to get it. It doesn't come by helping God out. It doesn't come by putting your fingers all over it. It doesn't come by your reverse Midas touch. I don't know if you got my touch. My touch turns it into poo-poo. It's not gold. Some I mean, of you got the same malady. Yeah. I've been by your house. Hey, bottom line is that's what happens when we try to mess it up. When we try to get in there and help God out, it always turns into that. God says, wait. Psalmist says, be still. Oh man, you think God's forgot who he's talking to? Americans? those capable Yankees that pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, I'm I'm the kind of guy, you come to me with a problem, I'm gonna try to fix it. You come to me with a situation, I'll get in the middle of it. You come to me and you ask me a question, man, I've got an answer. And God says, be still, wait, wait, wait. Well, God, I don't like to wait. (laughs) I want to do something. Come on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Look over to James. Now, we're going back to Psalm 46. Let's go over to James chapter 5. James talks about a very similar situation. So let's stop by James just for a second because I want you to get a couple of his words. Now, how many of you remember that James was the half-brother of Christ? Come on, do you remember that? James had the same mom and different daddy. Remember that? Joe was his dad. Jesus had God as his father, right? But they both had a common bond in the fact both of them came from Mary's womb. Is that correct? And James was the one that was a skeptic. James didn't get saved until after Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to him. By the way, I honestly think that James was from Missouri. (laughs) Because James says, show me. Don't tell me. Show me. I don't want you to tell me about your faith. You show me your faith. So James is a real practical writer. Now, we're looking in James chapter 5, and we're going to drop our way down to verse number 7. He's talking to Christians who are going through persecution. They're going through trials and tribulations. They're having problems in their life. Can anybody identify with that? Yeah. And he writes to them in James chapter 5, verse number 7. And I hate the first two words of this verse. Be patient. Kind of sounds like the psalmist. Be still. It kind of sounds like Isaiah. Wait. He says, be patient therefore, brethren, for the coming of the Lord By the way, Peter's going to say that time with God is like a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. We've been waiting for Jesus to come back for two days. Did you catch what my math was there? And we're all excited. Man, preachers have been preaching for years, for eons that Jesus is coming again and he never comes back. James says, beep, beep. Patient. By the way, just thought I'd throw this out, just because I know some of you are going to love this part of my sermon. You know what he's talking about? Be patient is the idea of being long tempered. That's something we lack in Nashville. You drive down I-65, you're going to see some short-tempered people. I had a guy yesterday, he was waving at me, you're number one. He was very short-tempered. You say, Pastor, what does it mean? It means, hey, it's the exact opposite of what most of us are. He says, I want you to be long-tempered. You know what our problem is? We hate to wait. I read recently we speed up one-third of our waking hours waking or waiting. It may be that waiting in line, or waiting at the doctor's office, or waiting for a phone call, or waiting for test results, or waiting for an answer from a friend. People living in large cities now average 20, 30, 40 minutes to drive to work. Truth be told, life is waiting waiting for an appointment to see a doctor, waiting to graduate, waiting to be accepted into college, waiting for your first job offer, waiting for the right time to start a family, waiting for test scores, waiting for your loved ones to come to Christ, waiting for the Lord to bring that right man or right woman into your life, waiting to find out what God wants you to do, waiting for someone to buy your house, waiting for your prayers to be answered, waiting for your husband to come home from a business trip, waiting for your oldest daughter to come Back to the Lord. We wait. And yet, waiting is so hard to do. And Isaiah says, Wait! The psalmist says, Be still! And you say, Pastor, how do you do that? Well, I think first of all, he's going to say, wait expectantly, Jesus is coming. Hey, we lose sight of that. When's the last time you even thought about the fact that maybe today is the day that Jesus comes back? What time last week, one time, did you ever think about the fact that the second coming of Christ could be soon? He says, you need to wait expectantly. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord comes. If you look at this passage, he uses an illustration. He says, behold, the husbandman, the farmer, waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rains. You know, farmers can only do so much. You can, you can prepare the soil by putting fertilizer on it. You can go back and you can plow it. And then you can go with your seed and you can plant it. But you're dependent upon the rain, the former and the latter rain. You want it to rain at certain times so that your crops grow. so that every, But by the way, you don't have any control. And let me help you with something, you non-farmers from Nashville, Tennessee. You don't have any control either. He said, wait patiently like a farmer. He goes a step further. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You know, bottom line is this. Jesus could come this afternoon, but Jesus may not come for another two days. I don't know when Jesus is coming. But in the meanwhile, he says, establish your heart. Let me give you the Phil Martin Amplified. Don't quit! Times are hard, Pastor. I'm going through a really deep valley. Don't quit! Oh, Pastor, you just don't understand my circumstances right now. No, no, no. Uh, James says, establish your heart, don't quit. The easy thing to do is to throw in the towel. Easy thing to do is quit believing in God. The easy thing to do is throw down your Bible. The easy thing to do is walk away from the church. I run into people all of the time that have quit. He says, you need to be patient. You need to wait expectantly. But notice he says, wait graciously. Look at the next verse, verse number nine. Grudge not. Let me help you with this. Grumble not. You know the amazing thing about waiting for Jesus to come back is some Christians, we look around and we look at our situation and we look at our friend's situation and we gripe at the Lord. Well, pal, oh, you know, Lord, listen, why can't I be like Sister Sue? Man, she's like a, she got a brand new car. I'm still driving this old piece of junk. Oh, you're so spiritual. You give me a real pain. You don't think there's any grumbling that goes on? Well, why can't my health be like Sister Sue, man? She smoked for 20 years. I got COPD. You ever do any grumbling? Why can't you bless me the way you've blessed so-and-so? He says, grudge not, grumble not one against another, brother, unless you be condemned. Hey, he's already talked about the fact that Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, let me tell you something, Brothers and sisters, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And sitting on that throne is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And he says, hey, if you start grumbling while you're going through your problems, someday you'll stand before God and his name is Jesus Christ and you're going to give an account for that. Come on, you don't like that kind of preaching, but that's what he's saying. He said, that grumbling will get caught up with you. Jesus is going to be the one sitting on the throne, and he's going to take our life's deeds, and he's going to burn them up, and we're going to find out what's wood, hay, and stubble, and what's gold, silver, and precious stone. He says, wait expectantly, wait graciously, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. He gives another example. He says, wait patiently. Look at verse number 10. He says, take my brethren, the prophets, who were spoken of in the name of the Lord, what example of suffering and affliction and patience. He says, if you want to see somebody that did it right, go talk to a guy named Elijah. Go talk to a guy that sat by a brook for three and a half years and waited for a raven to bring his dinner. I guarantee if I was Elijah, I'd be sitting by the Brook chair. then I'd say, oh, great, here we go again. Another McDonald's hamburger. <laughs> Can't you stop by Wendy's? How about Taco Bell? Come on, you look at me like I'm the only heathen in this church. Job, we grumble and we complain. He said, you want to see some guys that suffered and handled it, by, handled it the right way? Go talk to the prophets. Amen. I don't have time to turn, but I could take you to Hebrews chapter number 11, and I could show you that they wandered in, in sheepskin and goat skins, and they hid out in caves, and they went through all of these different things, and they did it because they knew that someday Jesus was going to be what he said he was. They didn't quit. Go talk to the prophets. Now, yeah, let's go back and let's look at Psalm. By the way, the rest of my sermon is shorter for those of you that are sweating. It's a long first point and two short second points, all right? <laughs> Psalm 46. You ready? You got it? He says, Be still. How many get what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. You ready? He says, Phil, be still. Take your hands off it. Let me be God. Because you're not. Amen. You get what he's saying? And then he says this And know that I am God. Amen. You say, Pastor. Now follow me, how is it that you can be still when troubled times come? It depends on what your view of God is and who he is. The reason the prophets survived is they knew God. He goes on a step further in that James passage and he talks about Job. And he says, man, if you ever want to talk about a guy that waited patiently going through trials, it was none other than that Old Testament guy named Job. You say, Pastor, how did he endure? How did he persevere? Why didn't he give up? Because he knew who God was. Job and the prophets understood James chapter 4, verse 14, where it says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. You've seen the end intended by the Lord. And the Lord is very compassionate. And the Lord is merciful. He's pitiful. And he shows tender mercy to us, the King James says. You know, one of the things about our God is this. Uh, When you go through trials, it shows you what your view of God is. And he says... You know, the great thing about the prophets is they understood it and they knew that God was compassionate and they knew that God was merciful and he knew that God pitied them. You know, I've met some Christians, honestly, they go through trials and they think God hates them. They think God's forsook them. They think that God's turned their back on them. And he says, be still and know that I am God. That's His point. And then notice, thirdly, Nat, I told you it was close, close lots shorter point, right? Some of you didn't believe me, you thought I was just evangelistically speaking. <laughs> I'm in Psalm 46. You got your Bible open? Let's look at Psalm 46. I'm almost done. He says, Be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Twice he says he'll be exalted. You say, Pastor, why does God allow me to go through trials? Why does God allow me to go through tight times, financial difficulties, domestic disturbances, health scares? It's so that I'll put my hands down and quit trying to be God to recognize that He's God and that, listen to me, He'll be exalted through it. Look at the way he's saying this. I want you to catch this. I'm going to make just this real quick. He says, it happens when you know me in my person. Be still and know that I am God. Know, my, know me. Know who I am. And then he says, uh, recognize that I'll be exalted. Hey, bottom line is, I have a plan for your life. And if Satan's attacking, to, attacking your life right now and you're having a difficult time, recognize that he has to have God's permission to do it, just like Job had. Nothing happens to a Christian that catches God unaware. Are you listening to me? He has a plan, folks. He says, know me in my person. Know me in my plan. Listen to me. He says, know me in my presence. He said, I am the Lord of hosts. And he said, I'm with you. I am the God of Jacob. I'm your refuge. You know the great thing about it the Lord of hosts is with us. I don't know if you recognized it this week as you went through those list of difficult things you said to him. But the Lord of hosts, the host is the armies of heaven. The God of the armies of heaven, listen to this is with you. That's exciting. He says, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Do you catch that? It wasn't the God of Israel. It wasn't the God where Jacob got his act together. It wasn't the God of Jacob after he finally met the angel of the Lord and he touched him on his side and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. He says, no, it's the God of Jacob, the mess-up, the screw-up, the failure. That's the God that's with you. Why? Because I mess up. I screw up. I'm a failure. And that's the kind of God I need to be with me too. Come on, we getting what I'm trying to preach right now? Hey, the God's presence is with me. You catching that? Now, I'm not saying this. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying today, come on, problems. Come on, trials. Just stomp me one more time, devil. But I do believe this. I've learned a whole lot more about the Lord during the valleys of life than I ever learned on the mountaintops. I had a man call me yesterday and he said, I've really been having a hard time, and he has. His wife has Alzheimer's. He's got her in a place that costs $5,000 a month. $5,000 $5,000 a month. By the way, it doesn't take many months for that to get expensive. Would you agree? Wow. And he said, man, he said, I've been praying and asking God. He said, we got down to the end of this month. And he said, I needed $2,500, $2,500. And he said, I went to the church on Friday night. We had a big special service. And he said, when I got home Friday night, he said, the preacher of the church called me on the phone. And he said, i had been praying about that for Three days, I've been asking God to do a miracle. Give me $2,500. And he said, that guy walked up to the pastor of that church and gave him a check. He said, I don't know who this is for, but I think it's your dad. The Holy Spirit's impressed on my spirit to give you a check for $2,500. And I wanted to say, and the Lord of hosts is with you and the God of Jacob is your refuge come on you listening to me you see it's during the troubled times of life that God shines the brightest it's during the hard times of life that God becomes the clearest it's during those difficulties of life when the focus gets razor sharp and we can see and trace his hand what he's doing in our life Oh, if you're going through trials today, let me be really honest with you. The Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your refuge. Come on, that ought to at least give a Baptist a (laughs) goosebump. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We ask you to speak to our hearts. God, help us to recognize that we have such a great God. I pray that this morning, that that one person today that thinks their life is just so messed up that nothing could change it and that there's no way to say grace over it, Lord, help them to realize that the Lord of hosts is with them. Help them to realize that the God of Jacob is their refuge. God, I pray you'd speak to us today. How many Christians this morning would say, Pastor, I'm having a hard time, I'm going through this deep valleys the psalmist says wait be still and know that I am God how many Christians this morning say pastor I need to wait on the Lord I need to put my hands down. I need to take my hands out of all the stuff. and Let God be God. and Let him do in my life what he wants to be done. He'll be exalted. Listen to me. Folks, listen to me. In the process, you'll get to know his person better than you've ever known it. Be still and know that I am God. And the end result is that you'll find out that God's presence is with you. How many Christians this morning say, Pastor, pray for me. Remember me as you close today. Would you lift your hand this morning? Would you lift it? Can I pray for you today? Hands in every section. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us today. God, I pray for those today that are so capable that they're still striving. They got their act together that they're still got their hands up and they haven't learned to put their hands down. Lord, help them to be still. Help them today to wait. Wait patiently, wait graciously. Lord, help them to persevere with the presence of God in their life. God, speak to us. How many can say this? Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm God's child. There's no doubt about it. I'm I'm his and he's mine. My sins are forgiven. My home is going to be heaven. And I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. How many can give that testimony this morning? Would you lift it high? Can I remember you today? Thank you. You can put it down. Thank you for your testimony. Is there one this morning? Say, Pastor, remember me. I'm not so sure of that, but I'd like to be can you remember me in prayer this morning is the one that